Hello and welcome back to our daily devotional podcast. We shall look now at Acts chapter 20, verse 1 to verse 12. Let us pray. Father, speak your truths to us today as we continue to look to you. Deepen our lives and strengthen our faith and cause us to, de- to desire you all the more. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 20 verse 1 When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after discour- encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He travelled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Paris, from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundrus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said, he's alive. Then he went, then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What struck me as I read this passage and the passage before that was that God turned the very spectacular things into normal, non-spectacular things, daily occurrences almost. We look first at what happened in Ephesus. Demetrius, who was a silversmith, who made silver shrines for Artemis, brought together um, the craftsmen because he was very concerned. He was concerned that Paul had converted so many people in Ephesus and surrounding regions in Asia that the trade of making shrines and silver for Artemis was threatened. What was more, that the great reputation of Artemis, or what he called the glory, the the divine majesty of the great goddess Artemis, was being discredited and was being threatened. Think of it, in just a little incident, narration like that, Luke was more talking about riots, But behind the riots was something that was so spectacular and powerful. Ephesus was the center of the worship of the goddess Artemis. In fact, the shrine or the temple of Artemis in Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Think of that. Artemis was one of the major gods, goddesses in the Greek pantheon. And the worship of Artemis was pervasive, was everywhere in Asia, in Ephesus. And what was 
hinted upon was that as Paul preached about Christ, hordes, multitudes of people were turning away from the worship of Artemis to the extent that the silversmith felt his business threatened. So we're not talking about a handful of people, but completely losing his business and the silversmiths, the other workmen also losing the business. And what was more that Artemis herself would be discredited. There was a tsunami of change that those who were worshipping Artemis were now turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, as Luke, the writer of Acts, narrated it, it seems almost like a matter-of-fact thing. Well, there was a riot and there was this man, Demetrius, who felt threatened by it. It seemed almost commonplace. Well, yet another great conversion, yet another miracle, yet another place where people are turning to God. Yeah, we heard that before many times. Almost seemed commonplace. But here in today's passage, yet again, we read something like this. A young man, Eutychus, described in the Bible as young man, he would have been about between 8 and 14 years old. He was sitting there, it was getting on the windowsill, it was getting very late. Um, the smoke from the the smoke from the lamps probably added to his sleepiness and then the crowds and probably was suffocating in there. He fell asleep, he fell off the window at the third floor and dropped, fell on the ground and died. Clearly he was dead. In verse 19 it says he was picked up dead. And yet the way it was narrated again it seemed almost like it was commonplace. Nothing spectacular. It was just a narrative. Paul was breaking bread. It started with that. And he was about he came together to break bread. It being the last day of seven days of preaching. And Paul wanted so much to impart upon the fledgling church all that he knew. And so he talked and talked and talked past midnight. In fact he continued talking until the next day. And then a man died. He ran downstairs, saw the man, threw his arms around him. It's a bit reminiscent of Elijah and Elisha as they healed, raised people from the dead also. But it was also the tradition of Jesus raising the dead, um, of uh, Peter, his predecessor, raising Dorcas from the dead. And Paul also raised uh, Eutychus from the dead. But once again, it was written in such a non-spectacular way. He says, don't be alarmed, he's alive. And then, in verse 11, it says he went upstairs again, broke bread and ate, and then he talked again and again until daylight and he left. But it's clear that this was a resurrection story because the people took the young, in verse 12, the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. He was therefore dead when he fell, and Paul raised him from the dead. A resurrection from the dead, something unheard of, something so spectacular. And yet in the narration of Luke, it's just a day's work. One more guy just got raised from the dead, no big deal. It's happened so many times, miracles, healing people, cast with demons cast out, just nothing out of the ordinary. And we wonder then, why is it that in those days, in the days of Paul, these miracles happened so often that they became so commonplace? 
And yet, in our day, we long to see miracles. We long to see God at work. We don't see them often enough. That was a question that I asked God again and again and again. And yet, while serving in prison, I saw miracles almost on a daily basis for many of the prisoners who were on death row. Some were as frivolous and uh, crazy as when one of them, a very close friend of Jesus, woke up one morning and said to God, God, I wish, I'm so tired of bread, I wish I could have a bowl of instant noodles instead, just for a change. What happened was that either the night before the day, or early morning, the bakery had broken down, whether it was a power outage or whatever, bread was not available. And at that moment, the guards scrambled to look for food to prepare breakfast for the death row prisoners, and they only had instant noodles. And so they served instant noodles on the day that my friend Dom said to God, God, I wish I had noodles for breakfast instead. It was a completely frivolous miracle, and yet it was God's way of saying to him, Hey, I love you so much. Here, you ask for noodles, you get noodles, because I am so close to you. This was one of those very frivolous miracles that I, I witnessed, but there were some even far more important. One prisoner saw Jesus in his cell, and I can attest to that because I was outside the cell praying with him. I saw a bright light and I felt a presence, a gentle, peaceful presence. It's just that I was too scared to open my eyes. But this friend, Eric, saw, opened his eyes and saw Jesus standing there, arms outstretched, welcoming him home. Or the man, Tiru, who, who had planned to sell his soul to the devil because he dabbled with black magic and he knew that if he sold his soul to the devil, he would be allowed to remain on earth as a spirit because he wanted to take care of his two young children. He was very worried about his son who was six and his daughter who was four and he longed to be with them even after his death. And so he made a deal with the devil that he would sell his soul to the devil just for chance to stay on earth to care for his children. But a week before his execution, his six-year-old son who knew nothing about the execution, whom he would not tell a thing, um, said to him, Dad, it's alright for you to go to God and return to heaven. God will take care of my sister and me. Nothing prompted him. Um, he knew nothing of the execution, but he just talked to his father and told his father, go back to God. That turned Deiru around and he cried to God and thanked God for the miracle. And then he asked God to take him home. Miracles on a daily basis, the spectacular melding almost into the non-spectacular, almost like all in a day's work. And I struggled with that. I kept asking God, God, why is it that these prisoners would experience you in such powerful ways daily? And why was it that my church had so few miracles, a tiny miracle was such a huge thing? The same for me. And the answer came very clearly to me. God said, because these people want me real bad. Do you want me that badly? 
If you wanted me that badly, you would see the same thing. You would experience my closeness the same way they do today. It caused me to coin the term holy envy. It was as though God was showing me, look, this is how close you can get to me. Look at how these prisoners experience me daily, seeing miracles, seeing my closeness, experiencing my love. Don't you want the same thing? Don't you envy them? Don't you covet these, these things happening to you? And if you did, then you would desire me the way they desire me. It was the same way that God spoke to the nation of Israel. Look at how I love the Gentiles. I do all this for the Gentiles, partly also that you may be jealous, and you may be envious, and you may seek me the way the Gentiles seek me. And I say this to the church, all of us as well, that God is very real. And he will work mighty miracles often among the people outside the church. That those who seek him with all their hearts, those who are desperate for him, God will appear and they will know that he's right next to them all the time. That we too may have the same desire, the same longing for God and to realize that he is right next to us, always close to us. And then miracles will happen almost as a matter of daily of fact, something of a daily occurrence, the spectacular will become non-spectacular, not because they're not spectacular anymore, but because they'll be so common in our lives. I pray then that this will be the desire of each of you who want to know God, that as God, as you cry out for God, as you desire God's presence, in your lives that you will see wonderful things take place doesn't mean that there wouldn't be suffering um, that's another topic that suffering also became common um, almost a daily occurrence but that too is part of the life part of the cost of following Christ but the other side of it is the joy it's the ecstasy of seeing God at work every day, every moment. I pray this will be for each of you, each of us, something that we can testify about. Let us pray. Father, when you take our lives, when our hearts long for you, and we discover that you are so close, so close to us, right next to us, so attentive to us, listening to every prayer from a simple musing, from a simple asking for daily bread or a bowl of noodles for a change, to powerful miracles of seeing your presence, seeing healing, seeing people delivered from demons, seeing broken people healed. Father, that these will become so commonplace in our lives because you walk with us and we walk with you. Help us, Lord, as a church to be such a church where we see your presence all the time in our midst and among those who do not know you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, have a great week.
have a wonderful day as well. Thank you. God bless. Goodbye.